Welcome to Centerpoint Church, where we're all about loving and leading people to a life-changing connection with Christ. We're so excited that you decided to join us today, and we believe that no matter where you're listening from, this message will enhance your connection with Christ. We hope you enjoy this message. Right, hey, good to see everyone today. Welcome, welcome, glad you're here. Celebrate God's goodness for just one moment. Thank you, Lord, for being good to us. Are you glad to be together with some brothers and sisters? Do you sense at all that God is moving right now? Yeah. I want you to just simply just take a moment right now and just say, thank you, God, for meeting me here. Just say, thank you, God, for meeting me here. Like, this is what we get the, really the privilege of experiencing together. And man, we ought to just acknowledge it sometimes. So uh, I want to just uh, share briefly, last Sunday, we had an incident at Centerpoint Church on, on our Sunday morning service, and it was at the 9 a.m. service, and many of you weren't even there, maybe you don't even know what I'm talking about, but a few of you might have been here, I just want to acknowledge it. We had an incident, and what I want to share is that that incident was handled very quickly, and nobody was harmed in the process and the, the person involved was within minutes uh, detained by the myriad of police department who were here. And uh, that person was, was prayed for even in the moment of being uh, subdued. And I just want you to know that I'm grateful. I mean, we should just say, God, thank you for being our shield and defender <laughs> in ways that sometimes we don't even know it. But I also want to acknowledge this. Sometimes God works through people to do his shielding and defending. And there were a few people, Phil and Will and Felipe, in particular, I just want to say thank you to for jumping up and just being part of the solution right when it was needed. And I want to just thank John Wood and Christopher Minoya and all the work they do to organize a safety team around here that is present and active, making sure that God's goodness gets uh, gets to be experienced more than anything else. And I want to just say, if you are uh, here and you're going, there was an incident, what happened? Or if you're, you're here today going, man, that was kind of frightening last week. But I hope that you'll also come back to that place of peace, of recognizing God did provide his shielding and defending, and he did it through, through people who, who are people of valor stepping up to serve. And I want you to know this. We have a safety team here, 18 people on our safety team and growing. And uh, that's led by John Wood, who's a sergeant in the CHP. And he's accompanied by three active uh, police department, myriad of police department members, and three firemen, one of whom is a, a, a captain. And that team is enjoined by four veterans, some of whom uh, on also police duty had SWAT team experience. And that team has three EMTs. Do you see where I'm going? Like, we have a stacked safety team. And you're in good hands. I just want you to know that. But I said it's growing, right? And I do want to just put that out there. If you're here and you're going, man, I've been riding the pine for so long, and I have something I could do, and what you're talking about now sounds kind of exciting, <laughs> keeping a safe, positive environment, and that's what it's about, um, then join the safety team. You can head out to the blue tables afterwards and let somebody know, I'd like to be a part of that solution in particular. But uh, I want to just take a moment and, and pray, and we just thank God for shielding, defending, and, and allowing us to experience his goodness in a community together. So just pray with me, and just pray with me actively. Would you just, if you could, just say, Heavenly Father, I'm here to receive your love and your direction for my life. I'm all yours. Speak to me in Jesus' name. And then we just say it louder. Amen. 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 So uh, earlier in this summer, 
uh, as part of the sabbatical experience that I had, I got to go to a personal development workshop out in Tennessee that was very unique. And part of the uniqueness was they, they, they let us know ahead of time by email and message, hey, when you come, this is a, a one-week-long intensive, seven days you're going to be on site here with us, and, and you're not allowed to talk about what you do at all. You may not mention your profession. You may not mention your college degrees or certificates or achievements in any way. And if you do, we'll remove you from the program. <laughs> kind of intense, but they were very clear about that right up front and many messages. You may not talk about like what you do and uh, what your profession is or anything like that. And they said, when you get here, uh, you're going to be checking in for the whole seven days, your cell phone, your smartwatch, your tablet, your laptop, whatever other kind of electronics that you brought, your smart stuff that makes you dumber, we're taking it away from you. And, and they did, right? When we got there, we had to check it all in completely. And so I just got to say, it was a very unique experience. Suddenly, like these things that we rely on, right? I do this, and this is what I do, and this is where I have a degree, and this is my certificate, and this is the business I own, or whatever, all that stuff, gone. And then when the social awkwardness kicks in and what we usually grab for is, you know, it's very important things to look at here, very important things, you know, gone, right? So all there was was just, well, I guess we get to just kind of be, kind of be human together. And when that happens, you realize pretty quickly, I'm not that. I'm a, I'm a human being with a unique set of, of experiences that I've been through and a family that I grew up in and interests that I have and passions that I feel and desires that are inside of me and, and regrets that I sometimes struggle with and those kind of things. Like that, that is really more deeply a reality of who I am. And being in that environment for seven days straight, it was, it was powerful. It kind of cracks you open. And you know what's funny is that at the end of the seven days, then they said, okay, now you guys can, you can talk to each other about you know, what you do if you really want to. And, you know, I had been in this small group with these eight people for the whole entire week. And one of the guys, it was this, this older gentleman named Bob. And uh, finally, the last 30 minutes of this whole thing, he, he let us know. We were all kind of curious. But he, he was a, a VP with HBO. And you know what's kind of interesting is that at the beginning of the week, I might have been really impressed by that. But at the end of the week... It almost just didn't matter. It's like, oh, well, that's interesting biographical information. But I know you, Bob. Like, I, I got to look into your heart, like what the de desires are, what the issues are, what the, the real person inside of you is. It was so cool to experience that. It was also powerful for me personally to just kind of, if, if, if you will, hang up the pastor apron. <laughs> and, and, and I'm not Pastor John to anyone in that group. I'm just John like anybody else with stuff going on and issues and, and hopes and dreams and regrets and all that stuff, and, and it's just there. And, and it was a kind of a healing, freeing thing. And, but what it was is an opportunity to, to think a, a little bit more soberly about ourselves rather than thinking about ourselves in terms of accolades or accomplishments or protective armor of, of uh, definition by my profession, all that stuff stripped away. It was helpful to be able to just be real about, about who we were. It was a healing kind of thing. And as we come into the scriptures today, I hope that you'll keep something like that in mind. And I do want to ask you to turn to Romans 12 right now. We're continuing this series, Inside Out. And you're turning to Romans 12. And in this series, what we're grabbing hold of is 
the reality that God wants to do a deep and transforming work in every single one of our lives. And he wants to start within and change us from the inside and that it will move through the inside of us to even the outside aspects of our life as a secondary aspect of that transformation. But what it begins with is a, a honest look at ourselves, who we really are, with all the stuff kind of set aside, where we are relative to what we'd hoped and what's happened, how we stand before God, all of those things and having those things in our awareness is what helps us to come to a place where we can actually be transformed. So we jump into Romans chapter 12 uh, this week because we're spending five weeks in this one chapter. Romans 12 verse, uh, verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself as sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. If I step back from what I just read, and it's a lot to take in all at once, a lot of concepts, what I see is that God is revealing that transformation requires humility and community. I just want you to get that thought in your mind. Transformation requires humility and community. If you're, if you're in on experiencing God's transformation in your life, it's going to require of you real humility and, and community. And so the scripture here calls you and I to experience a specific aspect of the renewed mind. Do you remember last week in Romans 12, 2, it said, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. These are, these are scriptures that should live in us, right? Don't conform. Listen, some of you about to go off to college, I'm pleading with you, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you know, when you first read those words, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, you might go, okay, but renewing of my mind, I guess that means I just, I need to read more books or something. Shoot, though, I hate reading books, you know? Like, no, it's deeper than that. It's not about, well, I guess I need to listen to more podcasts and take in more obscure facts. Maybe that's, no. Actually, to experience the renewal of your mind requires you to do exactly what we're reading now because this is what follows. A specific way that the mind needs to be renewed. And it has everything to do with your sense of self. You, you had to catch it in what we just read, but your sense of self is incredibly important. In fact, it's a hinge point as to whether you will experience transformation and to what degree. So your sense of self, you know, sometimes we, we, we forget that who we are on the inside really matters. And if, we, if our sense of self is based on a lot of insecurity because of the abandonment we experienced or whatever else, then our, our sense of self is, is going to be pretty low, if our sense of self is based on all of our accomplishments and all of our accolades and all of that, then our sense of self is going to be skewed too high, and that's also inappropriate. And so what we want to do is actually what the scriptures say, and to think of ourselves with sober judgment. You caught that, right? 
Think of yourself with sober judgment. And, and Paul, the apostle Paul, is actually showing us how it's done. Can, can I show you how Paul shows us? Yeah? yeah? Okay, so just go back to the verse that we just read, verse 3. We'll just start there again and dive back in together. And, and Paul says, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, and I just, that's where I want to pause for a minute and linger, and I want you to say this verse out loud. I just want you to say it with me. Get this on your mind together with me. Ready? Go. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, Paul, here in this moment, is about to bring a bit of a gut punch to the people of God with a powerful revelation. But he's saying, first and foremost, I know that I can say this to you because my life has been all about the grace of God. And I know that I'm strong enough to deliver what I'm going to deliver to you because I'm grounded on the grace of God. This is Paul. That's where he begins. And I'm challenging you to be a bit like that. To just be somebody also who would base your life on the grace of God. Paul had a lot of grace of God in his life story, but so do you. But let's just think about Paul for a moment. How did the grace of God show up in his life? He was grounded in the grace of God, first of all, because he grew up in a community where uh, he was raised as a good Jewish boy. That was part of the grace of God to him. He learned about Moses. He learned about Elijah and the prophets. He had the grace of God showing up in his life that he became a rabbi at a young age. That was the grace of God, that he became a rabbi. He became a Pharisee among Pharisees, meaning he was a, a, a high-level Pharisee. And, and that was the grace of God in his life. And we might look at that and go, really, are you sure, though? Because didn't Jesus rail against the Pharisees? Yes, but it was the grace of God because as a Pharisee, Paul learned the Old Testament law inside and out and sideways and backwards. And so the grace of God was in that. The grace of God was even present, allowing Paul to be one who persecuted Christians. It, it wasn't that the grace of God was absent in that moment. That was part of what shaped him. Paul later even reflects on that and recognizes how God was present. His grace was moving. And then the grace of God showed up in Paul's life when he, God got a hold of him. And God needs to get a hold of some of you and is going to do it because of his grace. And Paul got an experience of the grace of God coming so furious, so fast, so hard that he was knocked down and, and he's given a vision and he hears the words, the audible voice of Jesus. God's grace came by a vision and hearing the voice of Jesus. And then the grace of God came by allowing Paul to find himself among a community of people that would let him be himself. Rough edges, passionate disposition and all. That was God's grace that he found Peter and was able to chill at Antioch and learn with the disciples what this was all about. God's grace came upon Paul to be able to be appointed as an apostle, the one who would take our faith out of the small place in the Middle East where it was boxed in and into the whole entire rest of the world. It was God's grace that did that. It was God's grace in Paul's life that allowed him to be anointed, anointed to speak God's word and to write what we would come to know as the New Testament of the Bible. That's God's grace. I want you to know God's grace is powerful. But I want you to know God's grace wasn't just for Paul. But Paul, as he's demonstrating what this sober judgment of oneself can look like, he says, by the grace of God, I, and then fill in the blanks. In this case, I say to you, but it was the grace of God. And I want you and I to understand together something about the grace of God. 
Sometimes we think about the grace of God and, and we consider it like nothing but a get out of jail free card. Well, I know I did this wrong, but you know what, that's okay. God's grace. You know, you, you're not actually incorrect in, under, in understanding grace that way a little bit, but you're definitely incomplete. And I want to just make sure that we can understand what the grace of God really is. And the grace of God is, is defined for us in Scripture this way. In Titus 2.11, it, it fleshes it out, and it says, For the grace of God appeared that offers salvation to all people, and it teaches us to say no. It, hold on. It teaches us. It teaches us. Come on, say, it teaches us. Ooh, I like that as. I really like that as. Don't you keep it on the screen. It te- the grace of God teaches us. Anybody still learning? Come on. And that's why I underline it teaches. And, and I go back to the NIV because somebody else changed it in a newer one. But it teaches us. The grace of God teaches us to do what? To chill and go, ah, oh, it's okay that I did whatever I want. It doesn't matter because I got the grace. No, the grace of God came that offers salvation to all people, and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. You you should expect that the grace of God is going to have a constraining effect sometimes on you to pull you out of some silliness. That's part of what the grace of God is here to do, to bring us back from the edge of self-destructive and other harmful sin that we would otherwise step our lives into. The grace of God appeared to offer salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to do what? The grace of God teaches me, teaches and keeps on teaches me to live self-controlled. Anybody glad that he's still teaching? teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We believe as believers that Jesus Christ will come again to to judge this world. And, And we find ourselves, I mean, if you think about it, hopeful, looking forward to that. And some of us are looking around at the world today and going, And man, it feels like we're closer now to that day than we ever have been ever before. And that's true. And yet, that's not my fixation. That's something I'm aware of and I look forward to with hopeful gratitude. But I've got marching orders for here and now. And that's to be one who's learning from the grace of God and learning from the grace of God to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And I I want us to be learning that and to not miss that. It's part of the grace of God to teach us that. And to learn how to live self-controlled, upright, godly life in this present age. Because now is the time when I have a chance to do that. When I'm translated into heaven through the second coming of Jesus or by way of death, my opportunity to do that will be over. Now, here and now, this is your chance. This is the time you have a chance to learn how to actually experience the grace of God rising up in you like an operative force from heaven, which it is, allowing you to be capacitated and empowered to live a different kind of life, to be on display as somebody who overcomes sin and everything that destroys. Come on, somebody. This is what you're actually made for, the grace of God to be activated in you. Don't miss this. The the grace of God. So Paul says again in verse 3, For by the grace of God, I, and I, 
I just want you to get that in your heart too. For by the grace of God, I say, say it one more time. For by the grace of God, I, and you could just fill in the blanks with whatever's going to come next in your life. And this is what you and I get a chance to do. I'm grateful that I am grounded in the grace of God, and it's a grace that isn't just a get-out-of-jail-free card, but I'm grateful that I'm grounded in this grace of God that sought me. Like the song says, grace of God that sought me when I was dirty and covered in shame and sin. And I'm grateful for the grace of God that found me when I was alone and isolated and in need of his mercy. I'm grateful that I'm grounded on the grace of God that covered me so that my sin and shame wouldn't be held against me. I'm grateful for the grace of God that blessed me with opportunities that I could never have fabricated for myself. I'm grateful for the grace of God that has strengthened me to meet whatever challenge and difficulty that has ever come my way. I'm grateful for the grace of God that has taught me what it means more and more to be a man of God who's learning to live God's ways. I'm grateful for the grace of God that brought me to this point in my life and not so that he could drop me, but so that he could build me up even some more. I'm grateful for the grace of God that holds me back sometimes from stepping into foolishness. I'm grateful for the grace of God that holds me together when I, man, I could just fall apart because of the brokenness and the wounds that come. I'm grateful for the grace of God that lifts me so that I don't stay stuck in depression. I'm grateful for the grace of God that grows me and doesn't stop working on me, but grows me some more. I'm grateful for the grace of God that sends me with authority into this world. I'm grateful for the grace of God that fills me up with the hope of God and the presence of God. I'm grateful for the grace of God that heals me when I I experience wounding in this world. I'm grateful for the grace of God that frees me from the threat of hell and opens for me the opportunity to experience heaven itself here and now and then and there. I'm grateful that I'm grounded in the grace of God. I'm grounded in the grace of God. And I know everything I just said isn't just for me. Isn't it your story too? The one you say it, I'm grounded in the grace of God. Say it, I'm grounded in the grace of God. I'm grounded in grace. I love that I get to live that way. I'm grounded in grace. Holds me right there. I'm grounded in grace. Say it one more time. I'm grounded in grace. Deep breath. I'm grounded in grace. You know what comes to mind when I say that? Remember those toys you played with as a kid? It's like an inflatable thing about yay tall, but it had sand down at the bottom of it. And you would pop that thing, pop that thing, pop that thing. Comes back up. I'm grounded in grace. This world might come along trying to knock me down. I'm grounded in grace and I rise back up. This is your story. This is what is true about you too. And so Paul's modeling what it means to have a sober judgment of oneself. And he says, by the grace of God, I dot, dot, dot. Let me ask you, do you know the grace of God that is upon your life? What is the grace of God that is upon your life? I would love it if you would be able to say, by the grace of God, I, and then fill in the blanks. Whatever it is, the grace of God is upon my life to, to be an entrepreneur that starts businesses and creates employment for hundreds and hundreds of people. That's the grace of God that's on my life. The grace of God is on my life uh, to, to be a mechanic that helps fix everything that's broken so people can keep on going. Uh, the grace of God is upon my life to, to be a, a teacher who knows how to activate awareness and learning inside of kids like nobody's business. The grace of God is upon my life to come and, and, and get those tumors out of somebody's body by a surgery and do it masterfully. The grace of God is upon my life. What for? And to be able to say it, I, I challenge you to do some spiritual homework this week. Identify it. 
Where is the grace of God upon your life? What has he graced you for? There's not a single soul in hearing of this message that this doesn't apply to. There's a way in which there's a grace of God on your life. Identify it. You want to think about yourself with sober judgment? It begins there. How is the grace of God upon my life? <laughs> and we come back to this, this scripture, and I want you to hear it again. Romans 12, 3, it says, For by the grace of God given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. The measure of faith that you have. The faith that's in you. The, the simple ability from your soul to be able to say, Jesus Christ is Lord. And he rose from the dead. And he lives in me. Like when you break it all down, there's something about that that's a level playing field for every single one of us. Can, can you just recenter your life again today? Those truths, Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And Jesus Christ conquered death and he's alive. And Jesus Christ lives in me. Man, when you have that going on on the inside of you, you, you can have a, a, a sober judgment about yourself that's powerful. Powerful. And, and when it says, think of yourself with sober judgment, can I clarify that a little bit? This is not a call to think of yourself as worthless. Not whatsoever. Because listen, to think of yourself as sober judgment might look like this. It might look like you saying, God loves me so much and sees value in me so much that he sent his one and only son to die for me so that I could be redeemed. That's sober judgment. That God views you as so valuable that he had to come and rescue you so that your value could be redeemed and released and seen and experienced in this world and the next. That's sober judgment, thinking of yourself that way. And if I do that, if I allow myself to think of myself with sober judgment the way I just described, it brings me someplace. It brings me to a place where I say, man, if God loved me so much that he gave his one and only son for me because he sees a value in me that he desired to redeem, then what am I doing here? What am I on this earth for? I, I want to step into that then with purpose and with intentionality, and I don't want to waste my opportunity stepping back into foolishness. Come on, somebody. you got to understand this call to see yourself with sober judgment as a way to recognize actually the value that God has placed in you because of the purposes that he wants to accomplish through you. This is who you get to be, somebody who knows your value. Jesus is, is our model. Philippians 2, 3, and 11 says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be, say it. Actually, just say that verse from the top. Ready? Go. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. I'll just stop there. That phrase, be humble, has to be a part of what, what is alive in us when we think of ourselves with sober judgment. Be humble. And being humble doesn't mean thinking of yourself as, as uh, some sort of a doormat. It's the last thing in the world that it means. Uh, to, to actually be humble, let me, let me give you a working definition. This is a lot to take in, but see if one of the elements that I name sticks for you. Humility is having a confident awareness of your own worth and value 
that leads to having a deep awareness of also how much room you have to grow <laughs> and having clarity about how dependent on God your life actually is and holding a keen sense of value for other people and a default towards throwing away arrogance and pride and doing whatever you can to serve others in Jesus' name. Like that is a lot to take in, <laughs> it's a lot to say, but all of that I had to put out there. That's what humility encompasses. And, and this is what you're called to, to have a sober judgment of yourself calls you to a place of, of humility, of recognizing, yep, I've got my abilities and strengths and I've got some great things that uh, God's built into my life and I also have a lot of room to grow and it's all there it's, and, and I'm okay with it. And that's where we get to begin this experience of transformation. It's a healthy place. And I'm asking you to step into this. What I would, what I would encourage is, is, is don't be feedback fragile. It's really important. It, don't be feedback fragile. Do, do you know what I mean? When, when somebody is doing something that's harmful or irritating or frustrating or rude or wrong, and you try to call them on it a little, and you do it nicely, but they just can't hear it because they, they don't want to admit that there's anything possible that they're doing that isn't perfect. It's, it's a demonstration of a total lack of humility. I'll, I'll simply say this, that, uh, that what I want to do is... I want to actually be aware. If there are ways in which I'm interacting with you that are hurting you, I want to know about that. And I want to be able to own it and say, oh, I, I didn't even know that that way of, of talking with you or interacting with you was hurting you. And, and that I'm so sorry. And God helped me to grow. That's a, a humble response. What, when I'm walking in humility, I'm healthy. I just want to put that out there. I'm healthy in humility. You could say it with me. I'm healthy in humility. Say it. I'm healthy in humility. So I'm grounded in grace. I'm healthy in humility. Everything that I just described. You know what I recognize? I recognize there are a couple of indicators in my life that indicate when I'm not walking in humility. Two things in particular. Defensiveness and deflection. When you come along pointing out something where I've missed or dropped the ball or am not doing something right, but I'm like, oh, no, 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 that's not me. I didn't do that. I certainly didn't do that. I don't even know why you're attacking me like that. I don't know why you would say these kinds of things. You, you're probably gossiping about me. You know, like total defensiveness. There's an, a real indication of a lack of humility there. Or you come along, you want to point out like a way in which I, I have done something that isn't quite right. And, and I go, oh, but no, it's, it's because of her. And it's because of him too. And it's because of them. It's, it's basically everybody, everybody else's. It's everybody else's fault. That's, that's all I have to say. <laughs> the defensiveness and deflection demonstrates a total immaturity of heart and a lack of humility through and through. But it's hard work, right? It's hard work to be able to have a, a, a sober judgment about ourselves where when someone calls us on something, to be able to go, <sighs> okay. I'm sorry for the way that's caused you pain, and I'm going to work on it, and God's going to help me. It's hard to do that, but man, isn't that beautiful when you see a person that does that kind of thing? Your estimation of them goes up. You just step back and go, wow, that is powerful, right? There's nothing weak about that. It's 
It's powerful. And I think that's the kind of thing that maybe God is calling us to in his word. James 4, 6 says that he, he gives grace generously. He gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud. You want to walk in deflection and defensiveness because you're so perfect? That is not going to invite the touch of heaven. But God gives grace to the humble. It attracts the goodness of God. That humility attracts the goodness of God. Let me, let me just go back to Romans 12 as I get ready to crash land this plane because it's already 12.05. Romans 12.4 and 5, it says, just as each of us has one body, Romans 12.4, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. I want to tell you today, if you are saying, I'm all in on what it means to grow, to be transformed, it will require humility and community. And I, I'm going to break this down more next week. And it's a vital part of how we're going to get where God wants us to go. But what I want you to do right now is join me in making a simple declaration. I belong to the body of Christ. Just, Say it one more time. I belong to the body of Christ. Say it again. I belong to the body of Christ. I'm not alone. I'm not a rock. I'm not an island. Why did that just happen? I don't know. <laughs> Anybody younger than 20 is like, what was that? You know, but some of my 80s brothers and sisters, you know. <laughs> I belong to the body of Christ. I got other people that are going to hold me up. And, oh, something about iron sharpens iron. And what you can anticipate then is sometimes. And it's okay. In fact, it's what will help you the most. It doesn't happen if you withdraw. It doesn't happen if you passively dismiss yourself. It happens as you keep showing up. And so over the next couple weeks, I'm going to really press into this emphasis that you would keep showing up with this resolve. I belong to the body of Christ. I'm not checking out. I'm not going to give up on brothers and sisters, and I'm not going to uh, walk out. I'm going to stick with this community of God's people. And so putting it all together, this is the message today in one sentence. It's just simply this. I'm grounded in grace, healthy in humility, and I belong to the body of Christ. You can just say that one time with me. I'm grounded in grace, I'm healthy in humility, and I belong to the body of Christ. One more time, say it. I'm grounded in grace, I'm healthy in humility, and I belong to the body of Christ. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would meet us in this moment, right now, with an activation of an awareness of how you've placed your grace on our life. Not so that we can think more highly of ourselves than we ought, but so that we can have a sober judgment of just how many gifts and abilities and blessings you've given us so that we can do right with them. God, I pray that you would activate that in some of us, an awareness of the kind of grace we carry. What is it? I pray, Lord, you begin to speak to some of us even right now today. It's like the, the Lord would speak to you in this moment saying, the grace I've given you is. What is it? To think of yourself with sober judgment would require you to Acknowledge that. But for some of you, it's like God is saying, the grace I've given you is creativity. And you start drawing and sketching and 
writing melody or whatever. It's, it's, it's part of my grace in this world coming through you. For someone else, it's like God is saying, yeah, the grace I've placed on your life is team development. And then nobody does it like you. And whatever business you walk into, whew, the team just gets better and better. For someone else, it's like God is saying, the grace I've placed on your life is, is nurturing. And you've done a great job. You've been a single dad, but you've been nurturing. And it's a grace from God on your life to keep raising those kids and not walk out. For someone else, it's God saying, the grace I've placed on your life is passion. And you light fires wherever you go. Light them for my kingdom. What else is it? You ask him, God, what is the grace you've placed on my life? Because it's, it's particular to you. And I hope that one day you'd be able to say, like Paul, by the grace of God, I fill in the blank. Father, I pray also that uh, for someone else, right now would be a moment of spiritual awakening. While we're praying together, listen, a little bit earlier in the message, I made the simple statement that, that God values you so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to, to die the death that you should have died. The, the death penalty for sin. Jesus paid it. And God did that because of his value for you. Now, if you're a believer, that was a reminder to you to keep basking in, in the radiance of God's good love poured out for you. But for somebody else, you're just new to all of this church stuff, and I just want you to hear that really clearly, that God loves you. He actually values you so much that he sent his son, Jesus, for you because there's value in you that he desires to redeem, to pull out. And, and that gift that he gives requires a response from you. And the response would be to say, I receive your gift of Jesus in my life, and I believe. The scripture says the work of God is to believe in the one he has sent. And that is what somebody, maybe you've never done that ever before. You've just sort of been an, uh, an onlooker to this whole church thing. I'm asking you to step in. Like, just jump into the water. Cannonball in today. And you do it by a spiritual posture of turning to God to say, here I am in Jesus Christ. I believe in you. There's a lot more that can and should be said about all of that, but it kind of all hinges there. Jesus Christ, I believe in you. And if you've never had a moment where you finally confessed your faith in Jesus as a Lord, then that's what you get to do right now. A moment in time where once and for all you say, I'm not waiting any longer, but Jesus, today I give you my life. I'm turning from my sin and I'm turning to you. I'm pleading with somebody right now. P please don't think this is for someone else. It's for you. It's like God's got his arms wide open saying, come on, come on, son, come on, baby girl. I've been waiting for you. I want to bring my healing and mercy into your life. Come. And so for somebody, this is the moment where you need to do that once and for all, to say, Jesus Christ, I give you my life. I believe in you. And so if you've never done this, you don't know where you stand with God. Or maybe, man, that happened a long time ago. You were a kid, but you've gotten way off track. And you know, I need to, to, to give him my life, like for real. Then on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand with me as a way of saying, this is it. I'm giving my life to Jesus. One, two, three. You just raise your hand and make it known and keep it up for a moment. Thank you. In the front over here on my left. In the back on my left. Thank you. 
here in the middle on my left. I see you, man. It's excellent. Keep your hand up on the right in the middle right here. Thank you. If there's anyone else, I just don't want to miss you. Just keep it up really high so I can connect. Over here in my left in the middle. Thank you. There's anyone else I just want to make sure we connect in this moment. Okay, you've raised your hand in, our, in the middle. Thank you. Right over here in the middle. Thank you. Our, our ministry team is coming your way to give you a Bible, and we want to pray with you. Keep your hand up so we can find you. And while we're coming your way, uh, our ministry team, if you could pause for just a moment, and with those with your hands raised, would you pray with me? And you say, Jesus Christ, I believe in you. I mean, it starts there. Jesus Christ, I believe in you. You can say it with me. Jesus Christ, I believe in you, and I give you my life. I turn away from sin, and I turn to you. Jesus, save me. You could just call out, Jesus, save me. You could say it real simple. Jesus, save me. You could say it with me. Jesus, save me. Save me from the shame. Save me from the addiction. Save me from the, the craziness. Save me from the, the shadow that's been hanging over me. Save me from the depression. Save me from hell. And just cry out right now, Jesus, save me. He's doing it. That's what this moment is about. And so we say, Jesus, you just say it to him, Jesus, I'm yours. Come into my life. Thank you, God. Okay, our ministry team's coming your way with a Bible, but for everyone else, I just want us to take, take one minute right now and recognize what just happened. Seven or eight people finally said, I need Jesus and I'm willing to say so and I'll give him my life. I don't know about you, but that brings tears of joy to my eyes. I want to say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And so while we're in God's presence for a couple moments longer, one of the things that's so important to do is just to take a deep breath and say, Holy Spirit, thank you. And Holy Spirit, have your way. So, so join me for a moment. Deep breath, Holy Spirit, thank you. Again, this, while we're praying, this word came to my mind right now, nervous. Like somebody, you're nervous. Yeah. I understand. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's things you're unsure about. But I want you to know God is seeing that too. And he's willing to re remove it from you. The burden of that, the anguish of that, the way you just feel nervous. That's somebody in particular. You just need to take this in. God is looking at you from all eternity and saying, I know, I know. And I want to bring my peace to you. So if that's you, you just join me for a minute. You just take a deep breath, like as deep as you can take it and imagine like the... the the scripture talks about a, a river flowing from the throne room of God in the temple of heaven. And imagine that river just kind of flowing to you and just washing through all the stuff that's making you nervous. Even the stuff that's happening right now in church, it's making you nervous. It's just the, the river from heaven just washing through you. Take it in. Take it in. For someone else, cry out with me for a moment longer, Holy Spirit, have your way. Holy Spirit, have your way. And God, I'm asking if there's anything that you want to do to bring your healing touch in this moment. We desire to see your kingdom come. And Jesus, you established in your kingdom that what you would do is go around and, and healing those who are under the power of the devil in any way. So I just think that that's kind of normal in your kingdom. So Holy Spirit, is there anybody you want to bring a healing touch to? I pray God for a word of knowledge about that. 
a very specific kind of a word of knowledge. I want to pray for somebody who you've had uh, some sort of a diagnosis of kidney failure and kidney disease uh, and maybe even a, a new diagnosis about uh, diabetes, that kind of thing that happened like recently. And I believe right now for God to bring a healing touch into your life. And we might not be able to know about it in this service, but we're going to pray for it. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. If you say, man, that's kidney failure, kidney disease, diabetes, recent thing. While we're praying, if that is you in any way, I want you to raise your hand with me. Or if you're not here in this room and you can't relate to that, type it into the comments if that's you. In the back, there is, keep your hand up if you would so I can make sure that we can pray right over here on my left. And we just want to pray. Church, just pray. Jesus, we ask for your healing touch to come upon this sister with issues of, of kidney failure or kidney disease or diabetes. And we pray, God, for your healing to come. And while we're praying for this, Lord, I pray that any person in this room that struggles with diabetes, maybe it's not recent, but it's a struggle. Lord, I pray for a reversal, a reversal, a supernatural reversal. And we believe for that, God. I pray, God, that there would be a wave of your mercy coming so strong that we couldn't even run away from it if we tried. A healing wave to specifically hit kidney failure and diabetes. Whew. Jesus, I trust you to be the healer that you are. And thank you, Lord, in advance for testimonies that will come. Somebody in the next couple of weeks, you're going to have a reason to testify. You're going to get some tests done. You're going to notice the brittleness gone from your body. And I want you to testify when that happens. Why don't you stand to your feet, stand up together. Father, thank you for your love for us. And I thank you that you've met us in this place and you've allowed us to experience your goodness. Would you just together with one voice say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. One more time, just say it. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I'll sing, my soul will sing, my soul will sing.